Welcome to the CDA's annual conference podcast series. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. I'm a dermatologist in Halifax, and we're here on the floor of the Canadian Dermatology Association 2019 annual conference in Calgary, Alberta. So the goal of this series is just to get a chance to do some more in-depth chat with some of our featured speakers that are presenting at this year's conference. Today we're speaking with Dr. Patrick Ott, who's the clinical director of the Melanoma Centre at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and he's also an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School. He's going to be talking to us at the conference about phase one immunotherapy and cancer vaccines. Welcome, Dr. Ott. Thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. So I have to admit, I'm very excited to be speaking with someone who's published in Nature. When I was going through all of my uh, science training, I thought it was something that really seemed like a pinnacle of, of publication. So I'm very excited about that. And I also think it's a very exciting time to be talking about melanoma. I remember when I was in residency, if someone had a stage four melanoma, it was almost game over, but things have really, really changed. What kind of got you interested in melanoma in the first place? So um, I am an immunologist by training and actually did a lot of my training, not even in cancer. I worked on autoimmune diseases. I worked on type one diabetes. Uh, I've always had interest in T cells and um, melanoma, of course, has long been known to be an immunogenic cancer. <clears throat> and so when I entered the oncology field, it seemed like a natural natural um, subject area to study, sort of bringing the immunology background together in a disease that's potentially treatable. And that was certainly before we knew that we would have very effective drugs in the, in the near future. It was about 10 years ago. So did that sort of naturally move into the time when you thought maybe a vaccine would be something to consider in melanoma specifically? Roughly, you know, I, I'd say I've, I, I was in the melanoma field and, or in a cancer field and with, a, with an expertise in melanoma for about three years. And then actually only when I moved to Dana-Farber, I uh, got in touch with uh, Kathy Wu's group there who had been working on neoantigens for quite some time. And it was really like very good timing because they had actually um, done some of the some of the work at the Broad Institute in uh, in Boston, which is a you know really a leader in um, sequencing technologies. And um, so the notion there was that um, now is a time where we can actually um, find out about very important antigens called neoantigens, and those are uh, essentially um, sort of the characteristics that make cancer cells visible to the immune system, but it, it, it really had been very uh, hard to, um, you know, find out about those mutations, and, and and certainly not in a way we could where you could think like, oh, maybe we can actually design a vaccine directed against those mutations because, say, like. 15 or 20 years ago, that was simply not possible because you could not in real time sequence the tumors, find out about the mutations. But as these technologies really improved uh, at the Broad Institute and uh, um, it became, you know, at least conceivable that we could sequence the tumors for clinical patients, sort of the, the idea came, well, well, maybe we should actually go right into the, right into the clinic. And so it's probably... Um, easier said than done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of people who doubted this, this um, because it is still a, really a Her- Her- Herculean uh, effort to um, essentially design 
a vaccine that's different for every patient. And that's, a, that's certainly something that I wanted to point out. Uh, what became clear very early on is that um, melanoma has a lot of mutations. Actually, when you look at different cancers, when you look at, across the spectrum of different cancers, melanoma is like way out there in terms of the mutational rate, as we call it. That is um, almost certainly, and actually, so certainly because of the UV exposure, right? So we know it's like right. a certain type yeah. of mutation. You know, one of the things that you've been when working on is these sort of personalized new antigen peptide vaccines. And I'm wondering, do you see cancer medicine in general going towards more personalized approach? Or has that changed in your career? Because I certainly think, you know, years ago it would be take this chemotherapy, really nonspecific. But it seems more and more that we're looking into more specific, you know, patient-directed treatments. And so... Has that been your experience? I, I guess the answer is yes. But <laughs> I mean, the answer is certainly yes. But, uh, but I, I, I do want to take the opportunity and sort of point out um, that the, the term personalized is actually probably a little bit overused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, personalized, personalized medicine could mean basically a biomarker driven, as we say. So it could essentially um, have a, a certain mutation, like the BRAF mutation melanoma, or you just have some molecule that um, distinguishes a particular cancer and then select a drug based on that. Um, that is, you know, to, in some extent, you could call it, I guess, personalized, but it's not really like you're, you design a vaccine specifically for a patient, right. which is what the personalized vaccine. And we actually, in our first publication, we actually called it personnel and not personalized, sort of to make that difference. Okay. So we really uh, drive the point home that, um, that the product is really specifically made for the patient, which is exactly sort of going back to what I said, like, it's a, it's a, it's it's a takes a real effort to to implement that in the clinic, and right. the main the main challenge is actually that um, it just takes time to go through all the different steps to find out about the the sequencing, the mutation, making the vaccine, all of that. Still, you know, it's as I pointed out, it's like you know possible. Um, but for metastatic cancer patients, is still you know we we're talking weeks to months. That time was my frame. next question. Yeah, it is um, still you know the the biggest challenge for this type of approach that you did that you have you know you may see a patient that really is in need of a of a therapy right now, and when you choose this kind of a therapy, uh, you know that it will take you you know potentially two or three months to actually have that. So, and they may not have that time. Is and they may not saying. have that time, right. although, you know, a, lo- a lot of times it, it just, it's more a matter of, you know, designing the trials or, you know, strategizing right. the right way. Now, you mentioned earlier that there was a little bit of, um, I don't know if the word would be skepticism about uh, this type of research or melanoma treatment going this way from colleagues. Do you find that people's view is changing um, about melanoma treatments or about the type of research that you're doing? Uh, right now for these personalized vaccines, we we did the first study, and but at the same time, um, you know, I, I mentioned that when I when I uh, came to the Dana Farber, it was actually seven years ago, um, and when this sort of initial thought came out, let's use this therapeutically. Let's let's use the the ability to identify the mutations. Let's use that therapeutically. It was actually also, I should mention, at the, at the Broad, they had actually philanthropic funding, which gave us the feasibility. Um, 
But at the same time, we actually also learned a lot more about neoantigens being important for tumor-specific T-cell responses. So, so basically, we while we are wor- were working on this therapy, um, there was, as we mentioned, the new therapies, these checkpoint antibodies that have really changed the uh, you know, therapy for melanoma and other cancers. You know, the first one was actually approved like eight years ago, it called epilimumab. And so there were multiple studies that found out that patients who have more neoantigens or more mutations actually have better responses. And that's like one of the um, signals that these, that these mutations are important. And that's one of the reasons that actually drove this field. And so while we were working on our studies, um, essentially it became sort of common knowledge that neoantigens are important and that got a lot of other people inter- interested. And then of course the, you know, the efficacy of immunotherapy in general has really um, sort of made us, made us realize that we have to go back to the drawing board for certain types of immunotherapies that have been used for a long time. But with that notion that we that it it can work for a lot of patients, maybe you know cancer vaccines that were not effective uh, with the with the type of approach that was used 20 years ago, um, now using those neoantigens, uh, looking take a close look at how the vaccines are you know delivered. There's like multiple ways to do this. Maybe it just takes like more experiments and clinical trials to actually put this in, in into the clinic and make it efficacious. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's what when you're thinking about developing where you go from here in your projects, how do you make those decisions about how you go about answering that question? Um, and and have you developed questions from your your earlier research looking at uh, cancer vaccines and immune checkpoint modulators? And then do you use those to go on and make other questions? And how do you answer those questions? Yeah. And I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. I, I would say. Um, the clinical part is always the slowest. Mm-hmm. So de- designing a trial and conducting it and getting data takes years. Right. Um, but what we do from, and I, I should mention, so when I said that got, got a lot more excitement is actually what that means is that a lot of um, companies got founded in, you know, in Cambridge where, you know, Boston, Cambridge area, there's uh, probably more than 10 companies now that are just doing working on these vaccines. Wow. And so there is lots of efforts looking at these different, you know, vaccine types, and is, you know, hopefully finding finding out which one works. Yes. Um, what we're trying to focus on on the academic side, because we obviously we don't have sort of the same, you know, resources that a company has, um, but we have a lot of uh, technology and we have a lot of, you know people in labs that are thinking about, you know, immune responses every day and have developed new tools. And so what we think what we can contribute is actually really learning a lot about tumor specific T cell responses. And, you know, from that for the first study that we that we published, I, I would say we, we already learned a lot, um, essentially sort of defining what uh, what these vaccines can do to specific immune responses, and now, like going forward, what we want to learn is: um, can we can these vaccines actually successfully drive T cells into the tumor? Which is basically that's what it comes down to. That's what a vaccine should uh, be able to do. It should uh, should be able to really um, increase the t- the. And I'm talking T cells. You know, that's a that's basically it's a very important cell that 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 happens to be able to specifically recognize, you know, antigens, as we say. I mean, and that it was the, sort of the immune system typically um, 
recognizes sort of bacteria and viruses, but those same, same T cells can actually also recognize tumor cells. And what the vaccine is really supposed to do is like to, to educate these T cells and make them better, uh, make them, you know, longer lasting, expand the, um, the diversity of these d different antigens that they can see. And, and, and um, we have actually um, already shown that the, the vaccine can do that. So it can actually sort of trigger immune responses against the tumor in, in the peripheral blood. We can see that it's actually potentially synergistic with these other therapies. I, I call them checkpoint inhibitors because those right. are approved drugs uh, where we had you know patients actually on our study that did not clinically uh, respond to the vaccine, but then were actually treated with PD-1 inhibitors, which is extended of care, and they had really great clinical responses, essentially complete responses. And then we were able to go back and look at the immune responses in those patients and saw that the PD-1 inhibitor actually had further diversified the repertoire, as we say. So basically, you can think of, of it as the, the spectrum of antigens that these T cells can, can see. And, and those, um, it's actually it was two patients, and they remain in a complete response like for three years now. Wow. With with metastatic melanoma. With met metastatic melanoma. That's amazing. That I, I think that's really cool. So what's your what's your next step in terms of? Are you currently looking into your next research project? Are you in the midst of your next research we project? Are, we are in the midst of it. <laughs> so we are. So we are. Um, so we actually did a clinical trial in metastatic. So the first study was not in metastatic patients. It okay. was in patients that that were at high risk for recurrence. And as I mentioned, we ended up treating metastatic disease and saw you know, really good responses. What we now want to do is, you know, using the vaccines in the metastatic setting. Um, and as I mentioned, um, there's lots of opportunities to improve the delivery of these vaccines. We are sort of, um, you know, we're really working with peptide vaccines. It's like not so easy to just go to a different format of a vaccine, as we say, but, you know, we, we could, for example, use an RNA or a DNA-based approach. At Dana-Farber, we're working mainly with peptide vaccines. But what the peptide vaccines can can do, you can actually think of a lot of different things that you can add to the vaccines. When we the sort of the, the key word there is like adjuvants, so right. it's something that's sort of the uh, you know the the way to um, introduce to the or, or tell the immune system, well, there's there's danger here. There's like something that that needs to be tackled. And that's done in the vaccine with this with this adjuvant. And so we in, in the first study that we, we used something that we that we thought was was pretty effective, and it was certainly effective. But that doesn't mean it couldn't be improved. And um, so there's a lot of different um, combinatorial strategies that we can that we can try to sort out over, okay. the, over the coming years. Sounds cool. Now, if the clinicians that are in the audience are the ones that weren't able to attend, if they're going to take one thing away from your presentation what would that be? What do you think is that number one take-home message that we should all remember? Um, I think it's really the notion that we can use uh, molecular tools to definitively show that vaccines can drive vaccine-slash-tumor-specific T-cells into the tumor. Okay. It's it's sort of thinking about it in a different way, right? You know, I, I, you don't, I don't always think about the immune... Um, relationship of different cancers. And so I guess that's why I'm glad there's people like you that are doing all this research and then I get to use it clinically. Um, do you think there's anything that we haven't touched on that you think our listeners should hear or know? Um, I, I think it's, 
um, I would say it's there's a there's a lot of opportunity and excitement, um, but it will take um, probably probably will not um, solve the or was, we were probably not gonna you know develop the ultimately effective vaccine you know within the next couple of years and since so I would urge you know people to be patient and to let us you know try things and even if uh, even if the first attempts are not 100% effective i think there's still a lot of opportunity but it just takes takes time and clinical development takes a lot of time so we're not we're, pro- we're very unlikely to see that melanoma vaccine on the shelves next year but uh, but you're working on it exactly if people were to come to boston what's the one site you can't miss that's a tough one i think um, i think cape cod i would okay. have, so in the city of boston i feel there's lots of different things that are that are probably too touristy to, to name, but what I, what I think makes the area really special to, to live in is the, the proximity to the ocean and the Cape, Cape Cod is something very special. As an East Coaster, I completely agree with that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, my pleasure. Dr. Ott is the clinical director of the Melanoma Center at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. He's at the Canadian Dermatology Annual Conference this year to present on Phase 1 Immunotherapy and Cancer Vaccines. That's it for this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so you're notified when new episodes are released. From the floor of the 2019 CDA Annual Conference in Calgary, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.